Most architects and engineers know nothing about the third worst structural failure in modern history. This does not happen by office fires. The collapse of World Trade Center 7 was primarily due to fire. Not one of them has ever collapsed, not even these after 9-11. What buildings have come down like this? Controlled demolition. We did not find any evidence that explosives were used. You heard explosions. Big explosion. Just seen a big flash. Like a boom. We have more information of bombs, like an explosion. Office fires don't melt steel. So what's going on here? Is there enough to warrant an investigation? COVID-19 originated in animals sold in a so-called wet market in China. All steps for man, giant boots for mankind. Well, good morning and welcome to another episode of the Conspiracy Conversation. Uh, I am your host, David Whited, and uh, this is our time to step aside from our typical Flyover Conservatives uh, nightly show where we're kind of digging into the the daily news, the daily, you know, looking at culture, current events through the lens of conservative Christian values. This is our opportunity for the questions that come up and the, the content that's out there that we say, hey, let's kind of break away from that format and let's go deep on something that a lot of people have questions on. And sometimes you're you're actually not even allowed to talk about what possibly could have been a cause or what could be the answers. And when we began the idea of this show, today's content is exactly what we had in mind. One of my uh, favorite uh, topics to discuss, to look into, and, and something that I'm, I'm, I'm baffled when I'm out at live events, I'm in conversations with people, how little they know about the, the, the true events or some of the true questions on 9-11. And uh, even this little statue that I have here uh, with me today has uh, two very popular towers, but they weren't the only ones that uh, went down and were attacked on that day and have some some interesting speculation about them. So when we dive into things on Conspiracy Conversations, here's the rules. Number one, I don't bring on a guest to iron out their wrinkles and to, to dif- dispute things. I'm here to learn, to take notes, and hopefully you're ready to do the same. If you're starting up the lawnmower, you're jumping on the treadmill, we're going to have an incredible uh, conversation here today. Um, the second thing I try to do is is uh, be able to have a conversation about something that I don't know uh, with an open mind. You know, a lot of people walk through life thinking, hey, Rubik's Cubes are red, and they can have a conversation about that all day long and argue about how red Rubik's Cubes are. But sometimes you have a conversation with somebody who spent thousands of hours in private, and they come to the table, and they just kind of rotate this a little bit, and it's like, oh my gosh, they're all so green. I had no idea. And that's kind of the purpose of this. It'd be really sad to be 20 years old and say, Hey, here's the, the five or six things I know in life. And I never want to talk about them again. And they just throw up a, throw up a wall, It'd be kind of a sad place to live because there's a lot of things that, uh, uh, I've had people that are just animate that this is how it happened. And then you show them a couple of pieces of undisputable evidence. And they're like, Whoa, I didn't even know about that. Now I got some question. I'm not hundred percent Sure. And uh, that's kind of kind of the purpose of this. I hope you got your mind ready to go. We have a true expert today. It's the second time I've had a conversation with today's guest. He's a uh, from the San Francisco Bay Area. He's an architect, a member of the American Institute of Architects. He and his wife, Gail, um, are leading a charge towards real investigations into the destruction 
of all three World Trade Center skyscrapers on uh, September 11th, 2001. Um, he's a guy you are going to uh, learn a lot from and the world's best expert that I could think of to talk about 9-11, Mr. Richard Gage. <laughs> Thank Welcome. you for the standing ovation. Oh, <laughs> that's you know, wonderful. Life's too important uh, to, to leave uh, applause up to chance. You know, sometimes yeah, we just yeah, got yeah. we got to got to build those in, and and uh, I, I just want to commend you before we begin because I've I've followed your work for quite a while. This is the second conversation I've had with you, but something we try to do on this show so often we're pointing out things that are wrong with the world with you know sex trafficking or or this and drugs you know just think, this the problems that are going on in the world and we the problem usually traces back though there's not enough people with a predetermined moral compass and a spine that actually when when if nine people say, Hey, this is the deal. They just kind of close up and they go along. You know, it's like, Hey, I wasn't my fault. I was just following orders in this hospital. Wasn't my fault. I was just, and, um, of the guests we've had, the thing I want to commend you on is, is you have the courage to speak truth. And I think, I think no matter what you would speak the truth and as hmm. the best you, and you do the work to back up that truth and have the receipts. And so I just think that the world would not be in the shape it's in today if there was even just 1% more Richard Gages out there. So thank you for what you do, truly. Thank you, David. It's really my honor to be here with you and your guests today. It, what, what What's most important is that this information get as far and wide because it will awaken the public uh, to the devastating set of circumstances we find ourselves in uh, with a deep state performing false flag operations like this, like COVID and like so many others. And we have to bring them all down, uh, the deep state (laughs) included, uh, by exposing these operations. And this is just one of them, but it's one that I've spent 18 years uncovering. And I know that your audience will will be uh, flabbergasted at the evidence here that we're going to talk about. We do a great job of breaking things down scientifically. So get ready to learn a lot uh, today, uh, Flyover family. And the thing I love, I remember the first time I think I saw you, you were with Patrick Bet David. And uh, um, I've seen you on, on other shows as well as our own conversation. And um, you're really quick to say, this is what I know and this is what I think. And this is what a lot of others say, but I, I don't know. And, and I think that's an important place to be. Like when you know something like this is, I know this and I think this. And and I that that transparency, you know, is is what we, you know, need more of. And uh, you've really, you've really done the work to broaden that base of, of what you know. And uh, in, a, in a world where a lot of the things we're talking about, there's been a massive media effort to poke holes into it. <laughs> You know, and uh, uh, a lot of people just hear that and they just go on. So I think this is a really important conversation because you're going to share some stuff today that a lot of our listeners probably have never heard. Mm. That's unfortunately. And it's very unfortunate, uh, particularly when we talk about the third skyscraper that collapsed on that day, uh, World Trade Center Building 7. And I've found that most architects and engineers know nothing about the third worst structural failure in modern history. You know, not even hit by a plane, uh, this building. So we don't want your audience uh, or any other audience to be the last to know. And that's why we keep talking about it everywhere. Uh, I'm one of 90,000 members of the American Institute of Architects. I didn't get one bulletin on this, the third worst 
uh, structural failure. So uh, it should have been the most talked about, studied uh, failure, structural failure through all the universities. I mean, this is one of the, this is the tallest building in most of our states. And yet it went down and people don't even know about it. It's half the height of the Twin Towers, as we see here. Uh, They were the tallest buildings in the world at the time they were built. But uh, this building is about 100 yards uh, north, uh, away from the North Tower, uh, north of the North Tower. And uh, it was hit uh, uh, not by a plane, but by a few beams uh, when the towers went down. But it still stands. In fact, NIST, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, who was tasked by Congress to explain these collapses to the American people, they said, uh, no, that wasn't uh, the cause of the building's collapse. And they do talk about what uh, they think brought the building down. But first, let's look at the building's collapse uh, ourselves. The East Penthouse in the upper left section in an isolated event falls. And then this happens. Now, this has never happened to a building on fire, but let's listen to the official narrative. What we found was that uncontrolled building fires caused an extraordinary event. The collapse of World Trade Center 7 was primarily due to fire. Okay, well, let's look at those fires, David. We've got fires like this and this and this. These are the worst fires that we have photographic or video evidence of in the building. They're few, they're small, and they're scattered. And let's face it, we've had much larger, longer-lasting fires in steel frame fire protection high-rises like this, and not one of them has ever collapsed, not even these after 9-11. Wow. About 10 much larger uh, fires than even Those look like the whole entire building is on fire, every single floor. This has happened uh, almost a dozen times since 9-11. Not one of them has ever come down. So this is an extraordinary claim made by NIST. And so we're going to evaluate it according to the scientific method. And so we ask ourselves, well, what buildings have come down like this? Well, controlled demolition brings these buildings down, right? Well, there's a set of features associated with controlled demolition. One of them is that there's a sudden onset of the building's destruction, usually at the base of the structure. Uh, Let's see if that's the case here. Again, the East Penthouse on the upper left is an isolated event. uh, And then the entire building does this. Yep, straight down, symmetrical fascinating right so clean uh, professional let's it's very professional Let, let's see how dan rather narrates this for us uh on the day of 9 11 it's extraordinary oh. what you're seeing are high shots now here we're going to show you a videotape of the collapse itself describe that thing. now we go to videotape the collapse of this building amazing. Amazing, incredible, pick your word. For the third time today, it's reminiscent of those pictures we've all seen too much on television before when a building was deliberately destroyed by well-placed dynamite to knock it down. What? (laughs) Deliberately destroyed by well-placed dynamite to knock it down? He's actually describing what we're seeing. He's using his intuition. He's seen the old, old hotels in Las Vegas like we have. And everybody should be using their own intuition instead of being told that this is an apple when, in fact, it's an orange. Uh, We've never seen, though, this building, uh, uh, the video of this building's collapse on mainstream 
uh, at TV at all, except two days, uh, two times on 9-11 itself. How do you bring a building straight down symmetrically? You have to take out all the core columns at once within a fraction of a second of each other and then followed about a second later by the perimeter columns and repeat that synchronistically timed floor by floor all the way down or all the way up the building. And that's incredible because what has the precision to do that? These fires? <laughs> no, not these fires. So right off the bat, you can see why there's 3,600 architects and engineers signed up demanding a new investigation, staking wow. their reputations on this. Uh, and those that can be found at uh, the website, Richard, excuse me, or yeah, richardgage911.org. And so feature number four, is there a free fall acceleration? How fast is the building coming down? Physicists have clocked it. It comes down as a fast as a bowling ball falling from the sky. What does that mean? That means there's no structure underneath the collapse. Mm. That's all it can mean. That means that not one of the 80 columns in this building gave any resistance for any period of time during that uh, three-second period of its seven-second fall. A third of its fall is at free fall. And this is finally admitted by NIST after first denying it that it came down by free fall. They were publicly embarrassed by members of AE 911 Truth. Uh, and they are uh, 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 having to admit it, but they don't acknowledge wow. the implications of that, which is that there's no structure anywhere doing anything. That's absolutely incredible. That would mean that it was controlled demolition. That would mean that there'd be explosions. That would mean that people would have heard the explosions. But let's listen to NIST's explanation of that. We did not find any evidence that explosives were used in the collapse of Building 7. We ran down detailed computer simulations of blast scenarios. This size blast would have produced an incredibly loud sound that was not recorded on videos of the collapse, nor reported by witnesses. Well, let's listen to a few and see if there are. Here's Daryl, a medical student near Building 7. The building actually because it was on fire. The, uh, the bottom floors of the, the building were on fire, and uh, you know we heard this this sound that sounded like a clap of thunder. Turned around, we were shocked to see that the building was uh, uh, well. It looked like there was um, a shock wave uh, ripping through the building, and the windows all uh, busted out. And you know it was, it was horrifying. And then uh, you know about a second later, the bottom floor caves out, and uh, the building followed after that. And um, we saw the building crash down all the way to the ground. Um, you know, we were in shock. And then, uh, then the, the worst part. That's amazing. Hmm. Um, uh, how about Kevin McPadden, former Air Force medic? And then it was like another two, three seconds. You heard explosions. Like, boom! It's like a distinct sound. It's not like when in compression, like boom, 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 boom. Like floors that were dropping and collapsing. This was... Boom! And like you felt a rumble in the ground, like almost like you wanted to grab onto something. That, to me, I knew that was an explosion. And this gentleman. I'm going to call in Bill Rizzotti. He was here when it all happened. He saw it for himself. Bill, if you can just tell us what uh, you saw, what you heard. Uh, I was standing like two blocks away, and all of a sudden I just seen a big flash. 
And then I seen the building coming down and I just seen people just running everywhere. Chaotic, like a big flash too. And this gentleman, Barry Jennings, who along with mayor Giuliani's attorney, Michael Hess, these two had been asked to come to a meeting in the building uh, after the planes hit the towers. Uh, but before the towers came down there for a long period of time, in that interim, they are trying to get out of the building. They went into it, not realizing it had been evacuated. Uh, and and here they are trying to get out. Of it. When we got to the eighth floor, I started walking to one side of the building. That side of the building was gone. The first explosion I heard when I was on the stairwell landing, when we made it down to the sixth floor. Then we made it back to the eighth floor. I heard some more explosions. What's yeah. the sound? Like a boom. Like, like an explosion. More than one? Yes. We started walking down the stairs. We made it to the eighth floor. Big explosion. Blew us back into the eighth floor. When we get outside, police officer comes to me and says, you have to run. We have more information of bombs, so you have to run. Bombs? Bombs like this going off in the late morning of 9-11? Yeah, here's one of the guys you can tell you I'm okay, all right? Here, hold on. You want to call, you, you call your mother or something? They're all denied these sounds of explosions and these witnesses by NIST, uh, who said they interviewed uh, over 100 people about explosions. The interesting thing with that is the the proximity of the time that it happened. This wasn't a year later. They're all remembering it exactly the same differently. This is the day of, you know, right, right close to the event. They're all having the exact same recollection of what just happened, which which they're trying to deny is even a possibility. Yeah. The, but these are all firsthand the, witnesses. Again, this isn't 10 years later. What did you see? And they all come up with different memories. It's the yeah, exact this, same story by many people immediately next to the event. Yeah. It's, it's well corroborated that way. And when we put building seven uh, on the left and a series of controlled demolitions on the right, this is also corroboration. Uh, because, I mean, does it look anything like a controlled demolition? Well, does it look an, enough like a controlled demolition to be seriously evaluated as a hypothesis? Uh, because, since it looks exactly like one, and since Building 7 on the left uh, has never, uh, or any any uh, building on fire has never collapsed. Uh, due it, to it's almost fires. better. It's, 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 it's almost it's smoother. It's almost it's smoother and cleaner, and more professional than than the the schedule. Symmetrical, ones. yeah. yeah. That, it has it has all the features that controlled demolitions are supposed to have. It's an excellent job, uh, and, and should have been the most uh, uh, looked at hypothesis by NIST. But it was relegated to a series of very frequently asked questions uh, to be put on their website as such ten years later. So NIST is really trying to bury this story. But when we look at the evidence of extreme heat, uh, it gets even more interesting. The National Fire Protection Association Guide 921 for Fire and Explosion Investigation says, look for large volumes of gas and the large amount of heat released in chemical explosions causing rapidly expanding plumes of hot gases like we see racing in every direction away from Building 7 with these cauliflower-shaped expanding plumes Uh, indicative of a whole lot of heat, Uh, more heat than these fires 
that we have available, which were surely, by the way, snuffed out by the mechanical action of the collapsing building. No, we're looking for a whole lot more heat, something on the order of this. And yes, wow. we find it. In fact, we look at the NASA air flights with their infrared sensitive cameras and we find surface temperatures of 1,340 degrees on the surface of the pile. But there's no fire on the pile. And those temperatures are associated with the hottest office fires. So what are they measuring? They're measuring something much hotter, deeper down in the pile, that's cooling off by the time it reaches the surface. What could that be? Well, FEMA tells us they give it to us, in fact, on a silver platter. In their Appendix C of their Building Performance Assessment Team report, May of 2002, limited metallurgical examination. They do a metallurgical examination of the steel in Building 7, and they find never-before-observed eutectic reactions, intergranular melting, a solid steel girder turning into Swiss cheese, like this end of a beam from World Trade Center 7. This does not happen by office fires. It certainly doesn't happen by jet fuel, which is essentially kerosene, which uh, in jet fuel didn't even figure in, of course, at Building 7. It wasn't hit by a plane. Right. Uh, and But even jet fuel uh, only burns 600 degrees Fahrenheit, according to its manufacturer, ME Petroleum. And again, just for just for people that are listening and they they don't know, obviously, the people are most familiar with the the plane flew in here, a plane flew in here. These both crash hours and hours and hours later because of embers that fell off of these buildings to building seven. It was like an internal office fire. So they're saying all of this came because most people don't even recognize that there was another building that went down in New York City. Like they've yeah. never heard of building seven. That's, that's uh, when I'm in conversations with people at live events, we're talking about things. I'm like, you know, the, the, like a reawakening moment, kind of like, where did you kind of start thinking maybe narratives? And and for me, a big one was building seven, but they're like, I didn't, most people don't even know that there's another building that went down this day. It was hard to get my head wrapped around it myself. I'm going, wait a minute. I would have heard I'm an architect, you know, oh, it would have been the most studied building failure ever. But no, it was swept under the rug by the American Institute of Architects, by the American Society of Civil Engineers, which shows you that this sphere of corruption extends well beyond uh, those who planned and executed the event, but to those who had, were needed to cover it up, uh, much like the COVID scandemic. But they also mm-hmm. document rapid oxidation, sulfidation, liquid iron, that's molten iron, by the way, that's more than 2,800 degrees Fahrenheit, more than three or four times the, the temperature that the hottest office fires ever get to. Office fires don't melt steel or iron, uh, not, not the, uh, the framing members of these buildings. Sulfur formed during this hot corrosion attack on the steel. Where did the sulfur come from? Uh, and uh, that's that's a fascinating uh, topic we'll get into another time. Uh, but their shadow is all over the evidence, even though they deny all of this evidence of extreme heat. And yet, Jonathan Barnett, uh, one of the authors of the FEMA report, actually says steel members in the debris pile appear to have been partly evaporated in extraordinarily 
high temperatures, but it takes 4,000 degree temperatures to evaporate steel. Again, more than four times the temperatures that office fires can get to. So what's going on here? We'll come back to this when we look deeper into the Twin Towers, but know that the University of Alaska spent four years studying this building failure and they uh, and $300,000 of funding. And uh, one of the top forensic structural engineers in the country, Professor Leroy Halsey, does an analysis with his PhD students, uh, finite element analysis. And what was their conclusion? Fire did not caused the collapse of Building 7. Temperatures were not high enough to cause the weakening of the steel framing, and the thermal expansion did not result in a loss of support for the beams and the girders. The building didn't experience a progressive collapse, as NIST claimed, but a global collapse caused by what? The near simultaneous failure of all of its columns. How does that happen? (laughs) (laughs) They don't speculate. But we looked. We began already to look at evidence. Evidence which is convinced through uh, the key ten key characteristic features of controlled demolition. Fire can't account, account for any one of these features, let alone all of them, with additional circumstantial corroborative evidence and testimony, eyewitness testimony. That's proof of controlled demolition. A body of proof that has convinced thirty six hundred architects and engineers to sign on to the petition demanding a new investigation, most of which are many of which are included as experts in the film that we're making right now. 9-11 crime scene to courtroom. It'll begin to be released this September Mm. in two dozen episodes uh, and people can co-produce the film. We're inviting everybody to be a part of this. Uh, The post-production needs funding as well. And so, uh, with a $500 donation, in fact, to, toward co-producing the film, uh, your name will be in the credits of the film coming up right here, September 11th, uh, and uh, happening right now as you're watching this, wow. in fact. So as easy as that evidence is in just its limited form, I gave you the, the short abridged version, mm-hmm. uh, the, it's, it's even more clear at the building uh, at the buildings one and two, uh, North and South Tower. So let's look at them because we've got almost identical collapses. Why? How could buildings with different damages from the planes and the fires have almost identical collapses? Let's get into it because we have the same set of features to be looking at, very similar anyway, uh, with features of controlled demolition. Beginning with, is there a sudden onset of the destruction of the North Tower. Well, we're looking, it's, it's still, and then all of a sudden, it's in uniform downward motion, no jolt, no hesitation, at the impact of the cold hard steel below. So right away, we're curious, how could that happen? It should have been stopped by the heavier, stronger steel. Same thing at the South Tower, it's still, and then it's all of a sudden in uniform downward Motion. We'll talk about how fast that is happening real quick. But are there witnesses of explosions like we had at Building 7? Well, Graham McQueen uncovered in 12,000 pages of testimony, testimony that was orally recorded of the first responders, finding that 156 of them are direct eyewitnesses of explosions, none of which were picked up 
and the witnesses that NIST included in their final report. So they have weeded all of these out. I can't read all of them to you, but we got to look at a few key ones. We felt the ground shake. The ground is shaking. Wait, you got a thousand feet up. You've got a plane impact and, and fires in buildings. And now the ground is shaking. You could see the towers sway. Okay. And then it just came down again. That's, and again. A, so that's a person on the ground. We felt the ground shake. Boom. Yeah. And then a sway and then a controlled collapse. Yeah. That's an interesting it's, sequence of events. And that repeats itself through most of these events like this one. All of a sudden the ground just started shaking. It felt like a train running under my feet. The next thing we know, we look up and the tower is collapsing. Shook my bones shortly before the first tower came down. I remember feeling the ground shaking. I heard a terrible noise and then debris just started flying everywhere. An explosion appeared at the very top simultaneously from all four sides. Materials shot out horizontally. And then there seemed to be a momentary delay before you could see the beginning of the collapse. How specific can it get, David? Let's look and see what they're talking about. North Tower on the right, known controlled demolition on the left, slowing it down halfway. Is there any similarity? Is there enough similarity to warrant an investigation into the possible use of explosives? Especially since it looks exactly like a controlled demolition, at least in the first four seconds here. Especially since fire, the official cause of these buildings collapses, has never in history brought down a steel frame fireproofed collapse. There's there's no steel framed structure like this that's ever collapsed due to fire and heat. No, there is no steel framed fireproofed structure. See, in, in, there's warehouses that have collapsed. They're just steel. They have a huge fuel load. Uh, but but high risers are a whole different class. They're called type one construction. They don't do this. They've never done this. They're steel framed and they're fireproof two and three hour protection. They survive two hour fires, three hour fires. These are only 45 minute fires and uh, an hour long fires. So they should have survived. And what did people hear who were these witnesses of explosions? It was like, it was if, if they had detonated. I have dozens of witnesses. And those are, those like, are EMT uh, first responders. First, uh, fire fire department, New York. These are firefighters who were fi- who were working. We hey, Richard, day. Richard, can you play that again? I just want I mean, that goes by so quick. Can we hear those guys again? The the, the firefighters. All by four. It was like it was if, if they had detonated. There are dozens of these similar wow. uh, quotes, and there are going to be in the documentary 9-11 Crime Scene to Courtroom, which is why it's so important. This is going straight to a grand jury uh, through. Well, not straight, but through a federal judge in Washington, D.C. I'll explain that in a minute. This says the top part drove the rest of the building down to the ground and then it destroyed itself. 
Well, they get this from Zdenek Bazant of Chicago Northwestern University, who's a mathematical wizard who did a calculation to support his theory, and he submitted it just in, in a very extremely complex paper, uh, submitted just two days after 9-11, right? The rest of us are, are in shock trying to figure out who's attacking us and so forth. And, and this guy uh, submitted the paper, working on it 48 hours. It took other structural engineers 10 years to decode it, finding it wow. full of fraud. This guy's a they genius. Doubled. Oh, yeah. And what he did in, in his genius is he hid from structural engineers for a decade uh, the massive um, doubling of the mass up above the point of jet plane impacts and and uh, reducing by a factor of three the capability of the cold, hard, intact steel below to, to uh, resist that load. And so that's how he came up with his, his theory. And that mathematical paper remains the key theoretical basis today for NIST's column failure theory. Uh, but there's, a, there's just a more obvious problem other than the fraud, which we just exposed and will, that the upper part can't destroy the lower part. When there's an equal and opposite destructive force when two bodies collide. Uh, and, well, let's just watch it. That's exactly what happens. Watch the lower red line. The upper part is destroying itself. There's no downward momentum in the first three seconds, uh, pushing the rest of the building down. If there were, we would see it in the photographs or videos. It's gone. It's been destroyed, as you saw in the first three seconds, proving that uh, this theory is completely uh, fraudulent. If it were there, you would see it crushing these, they would have crushed these few remaining core columns that stand for six seconds after the rest of the building has been destroyed uh, by explosives, as we'll see. And then wow. it shakes and it and comes then down. And it falls after. Framing, frame by frame, falling into it, the, the rest of the footprint. Uh, do we have a straight down symmetrical uh, progression like Building 7? We have that kind of destruction just like the firefighters described, like a belt all around the building, all four sides, straight down and symmetrical. Wait a minute. We have asymmetrical damage from the fires, asymmetrical damage from the airplanes, and asymmetrical damage in the case of the South Tower from this building falling off of it. The upper part started to fall off. But complete symmetrical damage all the way down. Let's zoom into the lower leading corner of this destruction and tell me what you see, David. It looks like every floor is being blown out one at a time. Boom, boom. Just you can like see the, fire. the individual explosions. Yeah, just like the firefighters described, floor by floor, boom, 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 timed out one after the other. Yeah, and that's what they heard. They said, like firecrackers, pop, pop, pop. And, and this is, is proof of their testimony. And it's about every third floor uh, it's very difficult to see the floors, of course, in the building with the vertical striation. Uh, but what else wow. do we see? Are there isolated explosive ejections? Uh, take a look. Uh, even, uh, let's see, uh, 20 stories down below, 40 stories down below these isolated explosive ejections called squibs in the controlled demolition in industry. 60 stories down below. What in the world uh, of the official story can possibly account for these isolated explosions? Now, it makes no sense uh, whatsoever. We actually see 
Uh, these are not puffs of air. They're, uh, they're solid objects being hurled out of the sides of the building. In fact, in the South Tower on the left side, again and again, you'll see about a dozen isolated explosive ejections. And uh, these are what's responsible for the destruction of the interior of the top section of these buildings. It's very clear. Uh, and how fast is the building coming down? This is really important. On the left, uh, we can time it. On the right, we can see it. Uh, we get an incredible sense of the speed of destruction over 110 stories in just a dozen seconds. All the stories are, are destroyed. Uh, how fast is that? It's free fall, almost free fall acceleration. It's two-thirds of free fall acceleration. That means that these columns, including uh, 47 massive core columns inside the building, gave almost no resistance. That's incredible. There's more steel on the facade of this building than there is glass. And yet uh, it's as if it weren't even there because they've been totally shattered. Let's jump to NFPA 921 again. Guide for Fire and Explosion Investigation says look for shrapnel effects, high order damage characterized by the shattering of the structure producing small pulverized debris with the building completely demolished, debris thrown great distances. That's exactly what we're looking at in the Twin Towers. In fact, uh, they've been blown all the way down, save these remaining uh, shards of exterior structural steel sections to their individual components, ready for loading and shipment. One of the goals of controlled demolition. Get it all done by the explosives. So the iron workers don't have to take away a 40-story structure. Extremely dangerous work. How about lateral ejection? Well, the NFPA guide also says look for blast pressure wave effects. Heavy structural steel pieces freely flying, landing and embedding themselves in skyscrapers all around the World Trade Center and destroying the massive uh, uh, World Financial Center, uh, the Winter Gardens, particularly 500 feet away. So that's a steel beam that came off randomly oh, yeah, this, was shot over there, which definitely implies blast. <laughs> yeah. This, some of these uh, four and eight ton structural steel sections land 600 feet away. These here are landing 300 feet away. Uh, many of them are 600. Look at this one right into building seven doing the, some of the damage there, starting the fires. Well, but wait, back to three. Is it going out? How does gravity work? Down. We were told this is a progressive collapse. Gravity works down. This is being hurled out. And with the energy, uh, by the way, of enough uh, force to hurl a 200-pound cannonball three miles. But these are four-ton and eight-ton structural steel sections. By the way, if all those sections were hurled outside the footprint, as we can see uh, by looking at the photos, there's not a stack of steel 20 stories tall. What's crushing the building? 
great question. That is more than half the weight of the building, the steel, 100,000 tons in each building. If it's outside the footprint up to 600 feet, it's not available to crush the building. So that that calculation that Zdenek Bazant did not only used the weight of the steel here and the weight of the concrete, which we'll come to, but he doubled it fraudulently, the mass up above the point of jet plane mm. impacts, so that he could actually get mathematically a collapse. But it's all fraudulent, and this proves it. This and other points prove it. Look at the floors. There was 110 floors, each an acre in size, each four to eight inches thick. That's 90,000 tons of concrete. Where is it? It's not stacked up at the bottom. In a real gravitational collapse, we see pancakes on the right. Yeah, you think they'd be oh, on top yeah. of each other, and they would all still kind of be there smushing down, creating the weight be... for it to continue. Exactly. But we don't see that. I mean, look at the pile on the left. It's a, a, a three, four, five-story pile of core columns, miscellaneous metal. But most all the steel is outside the footprint and the concrete because it's missing, right? I mean, where is it? Oh, there it is. Pulverized Look at all that. In midair, all the photos, all the videos show 90,000 tons of concrete in each building pulverized to a fine powder, 100 micron particles actually, which is fascinating, and distributed from river to river across lower Manhattan in a three square mile area. So all the that, blanket, the dust is pulverized concrete, not ash. That's right. There's no ash. There, There's, a, I mean, there may be some ash from papers burning and so forth, but, but this is pulverized concrete. 30% of this dust, according to the USGS, is concrete. And, uh, and less percentage uh, is gypsum board and other things like people who whose 1,000 of them, 1,100 of them couldn't even be found. They were pulverized to such small pieces. And, and, and in fact, uh, uh, 6,000 pieces small enough to fit into a test tube. And yet 1,100, there's no trace of. So that's how incredibly explosive this event was. It makes it even more amazing that they were able to find one of the hijackers passports in that, yeah. in that fine of debris so quickly afterwards. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, by the way, if 90,000 tons of concrete is pulverized and spread over three square miles, how is it available to crush the building? What crushed the building? It wasn't the steel. It's not the concrete. That's three quarters of the weight of the building. That again, Zdenek Bazant from Chicago Northwestern University doubled in order to get the building to collapse, and yet it wasn't even there to double, right? Wow, it's, it's amazing. So surely, though, the evidence was preserved, and easily the largest and most perplexing structural failures in modern history. What happened to the evidence? It's the biggest well, crime scene in U.S. history for sure. Oh yeah, and yet here is. 
structural engineer Abel Hazen Astani Azel, who had a foundation, National Science Foundation grant to study the steel. Here he is complaining about what happened to the steel. After 9-11, we realized that Port Authority of New York and New Jersey has sent all this steel that we need to study. That's why I'm here to study steel. Has sent all the steel to recycling plant to go to China for recycling. For what? For 15 cents a pound. Just nothing. And all the evidence of steel went to melting pot. All the evidence of the steel went to the melting pot to China for recycling, <laughs> starting just two weeks after 9-11, put on barges like this, 400 truckloads a day, and prompting Bill Manning, editor-in-chief of Fire Engineering Magazine, to cry out, crucial evidence that could answer many questions is on the slow boat to China, showing the value, the astounding ignorance of government officials to the value of a thorough scientific investigation. The destruction and removal of evidence must stop immediately, but it didn't. Uh, FEMA and Mayor Giuliani were actually in control of that, uh, according to many sources. But why were they trying to destroy it so fast? Could it be that the evidence was in the, the steel and the aftermath and they needed to get rid of it? After all, we're looking at the material held in the hands of this crab claw excavator dripping with molten iron and molten steel. We can tell by the color of that dripping material what its temperature is. Here we're exceeding 2,500 degrees Fahrenheit. Office fires, and especially jet fuel, don't get that hot. ME Petroleum, the manufacturer of jet fuel, says their jet fuel burns in open air only at 600 degrees Fahrenheit. So where are we getting the temperatures for melting steel? Not from the fires. <laughs> These fires are diminished and they're cool wow. and they're going out at the time of the collapse, indicated by the thick black smoke. Uh, uh, so what could it be? Let's take a look at some of the other witnesses. Molten steel beams. Metal dripping from a beam. River of steel flowing, says who? the World Trade Center structural engineer himself, Leslie Robertson. I don't even know steel. Well, we knew we know steel can melt in a forge, but this is not a forge, a super right. controlled environment. I don't even know a concrete can melt, though. 3,200 degrees concrete actually melts. Why is concrete melting, forming itself around this handgun in the police museum today, proving temperatures wow. above 3,200 degrees Fahrenheit. Isn't that incredible? Wow. And so what's causing that? Um, maybe it's thermite. Thermite is a likely suspect, given its characteristics, noted by Dr. Stephen Jones, to have a white, yellow, hot liquid metal, like we see pouring out of the South Tower minutes prior to its collapse, like we see in the material dripping out of the crab, crab claw excavators. He also Almost says looks like, you know, like a Hawaii when you have the, the, the tubes of lava. Yeah. You yeah. Know, that's what it looks like. Lava, lava tube rock. pouring out of the building. It's about the same temperatures too. Uh, it, it takes amazing heat, uh, not office fires, not jet fuel, but uh, it would produce a whitish cloud of aluminum oxide ash. Also like we see 
rising from the material pouring out of the South Tower minutes prior to its collapse. And like we see on these steel mm. beams, one moment here. The grapplers were, were pulling stuff out, uh, big sections of iron that were literally on fire on the other end. They would hit the air and burst into flames. Well, wait a minute. If they're bursting into flames when they hit the air, how in the world do we get trail trailing these steel sections, thick white smoke clouds? We saw this earlier, but we didn't ask ourselves, why is it trailing thick white smoke clouds? Steel beams are not flammable in office fire or jet fuel conditions. What is going on in the ends of these beams? Thermite is the only reasonable explanation. This, this collapse looks more like a volcanic eruption in the Tongan Sea with upward, outward, arching streamers, a geometry of fireworks, uh, f- solid objects trailing thick white smoke clouds, molten. So what are we talking about here? And is there evidence of thermite in the World Trade Center steel? Excuse me, the World Trade Center dust, uh, pulverized concrete powder. Well, the USGS gives us that answer, documented in their 2005 uh, online report. Uh, They document billions and billions in all the samples of what? Previously molten meaning 2,800 degrees, iron, the byproduct of thermite, not steel. Steel has an iron in it, but it's it's got other alloys. This is pure elemental iron. Sphere. Hmm. Well, well, we'll look at the, sphere, the spheres themselves, but this is incredible because uh, there's up to four tons of this material in the dust. They don't know where it is, where it came from. Wow, this is incredible. R.J. Lee Group, an environmental consulting firm, says they're formed during the event, not before by the iron workers putting the building together, not afterward by the iron workers taking the building apart, but during the event. Well, the EPA says, we don't know what these are, but they're a signature component of the World Trade Center dust. It's not even WTC dust unless it has these unknown origin, previously molten iron microspheres. Well, where the heck did they come from? Let's look at an experiment of thermite, shall we? Small amount of thermite. uh, Light it up. Looks like sparks, but they're not. They're molten iron, and they're spherical. Why are they spherical? Well, that's just what aerosolized liquids do under pressure. They form themselves through surface tension into spheres. Could that be what's responsible for the toasting of the tops of these cars in this very high heat event? There's no other rational explanation for the toasting of the tops of these cars. So if that was evidence, and it can only be of ignited thermite, Is there any evidence of unignited thermite in the World Trade Center dust? Okay. 
Well, a small team of scientists led by Niels Harrett in Copenhagen get, get a hold of seven independently collected samples of the dust, such as this one from Jeanette McKinley's uh, apartment across the street from the North Tower. All the windows blew in because of the explosives uh, on the apartments across the street and filled their place full of this pulverized concrete powder in which was paint chips. Well, at least that's what they thought they were. Uh, they look like paint chips, like like rust primer, uh, paint uh, primer paint, and but they're attracted to a magnet, so they have a high iron content. What's all this iron doing in the red layer of these dual layered red gray chips that they found in all the World Trade Center dust samples sent to them? They get real curious. They do analysis on the red side, XEDS, X-ray energy dispersive spectroscopy. And they find what? The ingredients of thermite, which is what? Iron oxide, essentially rust. Iron oxide and aluminum powder. Wow. Iron and aluminum are the ingredients of thermite. What's that doing in the red layer of these red-gray chips? Oh, they get real curious now. They zoom in 50,000 times with an electron microscope and they find what? Iron oxide crystals rhomboidally shaped and aluminum platelets that are at the nanoscale, a thousand times smaller than the diameter of a human hair. Nanotechnology. They're set in a bed of oxygen, silica, carbon. This is organic material that's used for the expansion in TNT, rapid expansion, which knocks things over. Incendiaries work by means of destruction by heat, 4,000 degree temperatures typically. So here they appear to have engineered an incendiary to become more explosive. Not typically found in a regular office fire. (laughs) Nope. Uh, in fact, uh, Lawrence Livermore Lab developed it. It's called Super Thermite. And uh, when they put it in a heater, a differential scanning calorimeter, it ignites, producing a whole lot more energy. So it's a thermitic uh, response, an exothermic uh, response. Uh, that's just what they developed prior to 2001. Well, that's exactly what these red-gray chips did. The four of them that they put in the differential scanning calorimeter ignite at 758 degrees Fahrenheit, producing a whole lot more energy, just like the the lab uh, did at Lawrence Livermore. So now they know what they're dealing with. They're dealing with super thermite. Well, they also know something else, because when they exploded, they produce what? Molten iron microspheres with the same chemical signature as the molten iron microspheres produced in the World Trade Center dust as analyzed by the U.S. Geological Survey. So we know exactly where those molten iron microspheres came from. They came from these red-gray chips, as if we didn't know. They're found attached to partially ignited red-gray chips as you see here and here. Wow. So you see, this is very sophisticated stuff. But when you get it down to these nanoparticles, the 
surface volume increases exponentially. So the chemical reaction is virtually instantaneous. It's extraordinary. Uh, and and it, 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 it becomes much more explosive. It's not made in a cave in Afghanistan. <laughs> uh, it's made only in the most advanced defense contracting laboratories. So their 25-page peer-reviewed paper documents that this red layer is unreacted thermitic material incorporating nanotechnology. It's highly energetic, pyrotechnic, or explosive. So uh, that's damning evidence to the official story and could be, if brought into a court or a special grand jury investigation, bring the real perpetrators to 9-11, uh, of 9-11 to justice for mass murder and treason. After all, look at the proximity of the fireproofing upgrades in the World Trade Center towers, uh, the proximity to the jet plane impacts. Uh, this is uh, found out by Kevin Ryan from digwithin.net. So that requires more investigation as well. Explain they, this a little better, what we're looking at right now, just to make sure that... We're looking at the floors that had that we have proof of that had fireproofing upgrades. What does that mean? Well, fireproofing can be liquid applied, intumescent paint, it's called. So under the guise of a fireproofing upgrade, is it possible that nanothermite uh, liquid applied dual-layered application has been incorporated here uh, in the months and years, uh, a year, up to a year prior to 9-11. It's possible, and, uh, and it's likely, and it needs to be investigated in a real grand jury investigation, as do all of these proximities uh, and, and features of controlled demolition characteristic and some very uncharacteristic features of controlled demolition that we've uncovered today. It's all direct evidence of destruction with incendiaries and explosives. Fire doesn't create any one of these features, let alone all of them, right? With additional circumstantial corroborative evidence and testimony that we go into in our more extensive documentaries, uh, we find this to be proof of controlled demolition, a body of proof that's convinced 3,600 architects and engineers to sign on to the petition demanding a new investigation. Many of them, again, will appear in the forthcoming uh, episodes, two dozen episodes of 9-11 Crime Scene to Courtroom. And again, we're inviting everybody to co-produce the film uh, with a $500 donation. Your name is in the credits of this film. So we appreciate can, you. Can they get to that by going to richardgage911.org? Is there links yep. to that? Within there, there absolutely is right at the top, richardgage911.org. In fact, all this evidence is highlighted there. You can get these brochures, 10 bucks. You can give you a hundred of them. You can pass them out to your congressman, all the architects and engineers you can find, everybody that you know, because we don't want them to be the last to know either, do we? No. Uh, so let's, let's, let's get everybody aware uh, of, of the problem, right? So that's what I wanted to share with, with our listeners today. Richard, I don't know how much into the, the speculation part of it you want to get into or if you'd even do it at all. But, um, you know, that's the part, you know, you look at the science. Those are facts. People can kind of do with that what they may. But this this always felt a little fishy for me from the beginning of the Osama bin Laden. He's running this thing from a cave in Afghanistan, uh, you know, this multinational operation. Um, there's so many things that came out right away. You mentioned the uh 
two days later, they have a, a, a whole detailed, you know, uh, model of, of how it was done. Um, the, the passport of one of the pilots, you know, they found it on the ground, you know, after the fact, there's just so many different things. Do you personally harbor any ideas of, of, of the who's and what's, or where would they even begin that process? Let's say they bring this to the courtroom and they say, clearly this was a demolition. Where would the next, where would they, what would the, the, the list of suspects even begin to look like? Well, I, I would imagine that they would want to start with qui bono, who benefited, follow the money. And uh, there's a, 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 a James Corbett of the Corbett Report did an incredible one-hour documentary on just that. It's called 9-11 Trillions, Follow the Money. And he lays out the suspects, as does Kevin Ryan in his book, Another 19 Suspects. So they're not hard to find. You'll find them at the top of industries like the arms industry, the oil industry, the banking industry, the insurance industry, the media, all of whom uh, profited enormously from 9-11. And the media, of course, involved chiefly in the cover-up and mm-hmm. the, the, the cheerleading running up to the invasions of Afghanistan and Iraq, which, by the way, were goals shared by the Project for a New American Century, a PNAC, a neocon think tank, which published uh, their goals on their website, which is still in existence. And they say that they we really need a massive increase in the Pentagon budget. We need a total dominance, uh, regional hegemony in the Middle East, uh, which is interestingly uh, right along the same goals as Israel has, uh, who, who had many uh, dual citizens, Israeli Americans in PNAC, which were brought into the Bush administration following uh, the election that Bush uh, claimed to have won. So, and I voted for him. So I'm, I'm, I'm Oh, I was, I was a huge I'm, fan. He used to, he used to walk a around large uh, awakening. Uh, and I'm apolitical now because you can't trust either party of this two winged bird, uh, called the unit, which we can call the uniparty. Yep. Uh, but, agree. uh, PNAC is, uh, has a very s- set of, uh, inspiring goals. If you're a warmonger, uh, but they said absent a catalyzing and catastrophic event like a new Pearl Harbor, these goals will take a long, long time to achieve. And so uh, Bush writes in his diary the next day, uh, today, that day, we, have, we had our, a new Pearl Harbor today. And that's why David Ray Griffin's book is called A New Pearl Harbor. And he's written 14 books on this subject and he's fingered many of the suspects as well in this series of books by the late great David Ray Griffin. So Richard, there's 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 things that have happened. You read about history books, and you can speculate on, you know, the Nero in Rome, or something maybe happened a hundred years ago, or that that are that are only written about. Um, this happened well for the majority of our listeners during our lifetime, you know, in in, in an era of video and camera, and you got like. You had NASA shots of thermal imaging, and there's 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 so 
There's so many eyewitnesses, yet they sort of were able to make the whole world like not believe what you're seeing. They were able to put something in their hand and say, you don't see this, and then mm-hmm. set it down, and the world's like, I didn't see this, and then they just go about their day. How, yeah. how and could not this only possibly happen in this era? them up to war and support an incredible war effort internationally. It's it's an interesting thing, and to me, it kind of comes back more than anything else to you know the the conversations like Project Mockingbird and and these things of the 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 unified messaging of the the media apparatus and how powerful that is on people. We know it's powerful because they get you to buy products that are too expensive. You don't really need to impress neighbors that don't really care. You know, it's it's the influence of media and product placement in shows. Obviously, is effective or. They wouldn't pay a lot of money to have Coca-Cola be in this movie and somebody drinking it in the background. Like all of those things are effective because they impact your behavior. They impact what you think, what what you want, what what you see. Um I I I I guess I guess where I'm headed with that is just it's very scary how vulnerable we are in a world that's full of screens, that anything that they put on a screen people just kind of believe. Hey, I did too. I was rooting for Colin Powell as he was making his irrefutable case for weapons of mass destruction against Iraq before the UN. I wanted to go into Afghanistan and get those bastards who did this to us. That's yeah. where I was. I was a flag-waving Reagan Republican. And boy, it, it just all started to come apart. When I heard the interview with David Ray Griffin on Bonnie Faulkner's Guns and Butter program in the East Bay, uh, California, and I was just shocked to my core. I, I mean, as I heard this evidence, I knew something was right about it, but it but it, it challenged everything inside of me. I could feel my world just turning upside down. Mm. My worldview had been challenged. My psychological uh, safety arrangement. Uh, had actually been shattered, especially over the next two weeks as I verified everything I'd heard in that 45-minute interview. Man, uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Well, I I was right there with you. You know, Toby Keith playing in the background and, and, uh, you know, we'll put a boot in your ass and the whole bit. And, uh, uh, you know, I goosebumps. I heard that song recently and I'm like, wow, what a different uh, place we are in right now. And uh, I think it's just important for people to own take personal ownership of the things that you grab a hold of and you choose to hold on to long-term and believe question them, you know, and uh, not to the place of being uh, paranoid, but, but question look at, thank you. I mean, I, I'm proud of this audience for tuning in. It grows every week. We've had millions and millions of downloads just in the, the first few episodes we've done here of these conversations of conspiracy conversations. And our people are, people are looking at things uh, for themselves with like, I think clear, sober eyes and uh, taking ownership of this process and beginning to use this media apparatus against those that would use it against us. We're using it to hey, let's shine light on, on these subjects and uh, kind of see what's out there. And I thank you for your time, the thousands of hours you've spent on this and you're in your just unselfish way. You come onto a show like this and share your expertise. I thank you for what you've done so far. And I thank you for what you're continuing to do. And I just pray for great success on this documentary that we just keep holding their feet to the fire and sharing the truth. Yeah, right on, Dave. It's it's my honor. And uh, let's just keep rolling until we break through. That's all we can do, man. 18 years. Uh, I thought it'd be over in six months, but 
I, I'm, I'm going to keep on rolling. So anyway, uh, we can get it out there. Let's get it out there. You guys share this with your friends too. Uh, even your enemies, <laughs> you'll do, be doing them a favor. Remember, love to your enemy. That's knowledge. To get it out there, you guys, richardgage911.org, richardgage911.org. You guys make it a great day. Richard, we'll see you again next time. Thank you so much. And thank you, Flyover family. Thanks for joining uh, me on this journey that we go through every single week. Uh, we got incredible guests coming up in the future, digging into all kinds of topics. We appreciate you coming along for the ride. Uh, this episode was brought to you by a guy that has not one but two PhDs, Dr. Dr. Kirk Elliott. Uh, Stacy and I have known Dr. Kirk Elliott for over 25 years. His father was a mentor of, of ours. And uh, while we were busy doing numerous different things throughout the path, he was busy in school studying economics, the central banks, and inflation. And uh, basically figuring out how do we navigate to protect ourselves from the kind of people that do the kind of destruction we talked about in today's episodes. How do we protect ourselves from the financial uh, uh, ripple effects of what they're doing to the global economy. Um, if you go back to when these buildings were, were blown up, uh, an ounce of gold was worth about $270. Today, it's it's worth just slightly less than, than $2,000. But if you'd held on to that cash in the meantime, it would have been worth less and less over time. At any point, if you could turn your fiat currency into a tangible, real asset, uh, like gold or silver, it is worth more over time. These guys just help you easily, easily transition from fake money into a real asset effortlessly. Effortlessly, right now, silver is the move because the gap between gold and silver is larger than it historically should be, and uh, they can help you navigate the process of moving from an IRA or savings or something that you have money. Again, if, if you have money in a shoebox, it's worth a little bit less every single day. A lot of places don't even physically take the cash, and you know when you go to your bank, it's just zeros and numbers in a computer that they have complete control over as they're moving towards pushing us towards a centralized digital currency. And so the ability to navigate against those things and come out ahead the same way that nations are doing today, they're backing their currency with gold. You could do the exact same thing using silver to protect yourself. The benefit with silver is it's got manufacturing uh, capabilities. You need it for electronics. You need it for so many things. And so it's going to do nothing but protect you against inflation and go up and up over time. So go to flyovergold.com and uh, simply just fill out the form to have a conversation. And uh, they will, they'll walk you through. Here's what you would need to do. Here's the process. Here's what it would take. And then the ball's in your court and you decide, hey, is that the move for you or not? The great thing is that's a relationship you can establish and do over and over and again. Or if you decide, hey, it's time to get out of that and back into the stock market or into another thing, uh, they can help with that process as well. That's exactly what we're doing. Our friends and family are doing. Our parents, pretty much everybody we know is working with Dr. Kirk Elliott because he's the most trusted person in that space. You can call him have a conversation with him yourself. Go to flyovergold.com today. You will be glad you did. You can sleep uh, well at night. You guys, thanks for again for joining us on this journey. We will see you again next Saturday for another episode of the Conspiracy Conversations. Make it a great day. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Flyover Conservatives podcast with David and Stacy Whited. Please subscribe, hit the notification bell, and leave us a comment below. Lastly, if you enjoyed today's podcast, share with those who came to mind. Be blessed and make it a great day.